Hey everyone, today we're talking a little bit about Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss and how a common sense question gave him his holy shit moment. In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Hey everyone, welcome back to Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. I'm Darcy. I'm Kyle. And... Um, I said this last week, but I want to say it again. Uh, we've been a little off track on our episodes. Ooh. Oh, and he booed me last time. You got to come Ooh. up with something new. And so um, we've had a health. I had a health concern in my family, not mine and Kyle's immediate family, that has distracted me and taken my attention away. And our numbers have showed that, <laughs> that we're losing y'all Y'all like to listen to us regularly i know so and we're trying you... to get you back we want you to come back yes <laughs> um so we're gonna get started and with that i said this last week but in case you missed last week um kyle's live stream business professional book clubs has a guest for the fourth person every month and for the first one i was supposed to be that guest but because of the she same let us down she I... bailed it's okay. disappointing okay are we going to keep doing this? As long as I can. Do you want me to do the episodes with you? I think our listeners do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll be quiet. Okay, so there were a couple of things that I wanted to talk about from the book that I didn't get to because I wasn't there, but since I come up with the topics, we're going to talk about them here. <laughs> so the book was uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, and he is an FBI hostage or he was an FBI hostage negotiator, some really intense situations. The book talks about them. Um, and then went on to be a consultant to help, uh, everyday people negotiate even just, you know, better salary in your job or whatever you want. Um, so this one that I want to talk about, uh, is what he describes as his holy shit moment. That sounds fun. Yeah. So I'm trying to, summarize this real quick he was on another case and one of his partners brought him tapes from a case that was going on in pittsburgh okay and one drug dealer had kidnapped the girlfriend of another drug dealer oh yeah and so the victim drug dealer Uh called the fbi yeah which which they thought was funny right because you know clean hands and all (laughs) and um so hey you know when when push comes to shove you, you know you know who's going to be there to help you. I guess so. Um, I guess the victim drug dealer really cared about his girlfriend because he was risking himself going to jail. The... That, like, that's true love. I hope yeah. they ended up together. It's a little touching there. <laughs> so he's listening. Chris Voss is listening to the tapes that they had recorded. I assume they record all of this. Um, and they've got the victim drug dealer on the phone 
with the criminal yeah. <laughs> drug dealer, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, with the kidnapper. And so they're trying to get proof of life. Right. And normally they would um, guide the person talking on the phone to ask a question. He says, like, what's the name of the girlfriend's teddy bear when she was little? Yeah. Or something specific. Stuff that only that one person would know. Yeah. Get some evidence. And, but that didn't happen. Instead... They're driving around, and and the victim kidnapper just blurts out, "Hey, dog, how do I know she's all right?" <laughs> to which you know the people are like panicked, like you can't do this. Yeah, and he says, and the funniest thing happened: the kidnapper actually went silence for ten seconds. <laughs> he was completely taken aback. Then he said, in a much less confrontational tone of voice, "Well, I'll put her on the phone." And Chris says, I was floored because this unsophisticated drug dealer just pulled off a phenomenal victory in the negotiation. To get the kidnapper to volunteer to put the victim on the phone is massively huge. And so that's when he had a holy shit moment. Yeah. He had asked an open-ended yet calibrated question that Mm -hmm. forced the other guy to pause and actually think how to solve the problem. And I thought to myself, this is perfect. It's a natural and normal question, not a request for a fact. Yep. It's a how question and how engages because how asks for help. It does. And so that is kind of the topic of our episode. Um, a couple of things that you're going to talk about. <laughs> well, I forgot a couple I want to talk about. Okay, well, I'm going to add. How am I supposed to talk about what I want? Because these are my episodes and my topics. If yeah. I'm taking all the blame for the inconsistent episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing is just common sense. Right. Because that's, I mean, that's how those drug dealers talk to each other. It was just common sense for him to say, hey, dog, how do I right. know she's all right? I yeah. mean, instead of, hey, what was the name of her teddy bear when she was little? Right. He would have known the FBI was involved if you right. would have asked a question like that. Um, so just common sense things and then um uh i just lost my train of thought oh the how question how the how asks for help yeah okay go so the how question i first time i ever ran into to doing this to get to the root of what you're looking for in negotiation was actually in college working for best buy Mm -hmm. so you know i i they they taught us basically how to kind of identify which market segment folks might be in, but you never really knew because, you know, a rich guy could come, you know, dressed in clothes that he was, you know, gardening in or whatever. So it's really hard to kind of pinpoint people. So we had questions we'd ask to kind of figure out, like, where do we need to steer them, right? Do we need to steer this person to the most expensive Sony Vio for their kids' homework, or do we actually just need to get them into a little standard HP laptop, whatever, mm-hmm. in any case? So... Once we've gotten a little ways in that conversation, before we start talking about all of the fun bells and whistles and cool stuff we can do, just point blank ask, how do you intend to pay for this today? Mm -hmm. And you get two things out of that question. One, you find out if they're actually serious about buying or if they're just geeked out and loving to learn about all the technology. Lots of folks went to Best Buy for that purpose. Oh, that question really frustrates me. Like, I want to be like, it's none of your business how I'm paying. Well, the second part of it is then you would find out if they're going to pay with cash or they're going to have to get store credit or what they're going to do. And it allows you to guide the conversation a little bit further. The problem with asking that question is if you ask it too soon in the discussion, 
you get people very pissed off about it. Like, what's this business of yours? But if we're five, 10 minutes into a conversation and we're building a rapport and a little bit of a relationship and I'm getting to know your needs and I'm making recommendations, it's a good way to put a, a, a purposeful pause in the direction of the negotiation because then I get the necessary information I need to go down the road I need to go down. Because if, you know, ask how are you gonna pay for this? Oh, I have no idea. Well, you know, are you looking in a budget? Might be the very next question I ask. Mm -hmm. And again, what if they say that's none of your business? I just need you to help me find what I need. No one ever actually did that to me. Oh, okay. Never. <laughs> I didn't shop in your store. <laughs> um, now I have seen it happen to other people, but it never happened to me because you have to get far enough in the conversation. I think that's part of it here. Why this would have worked? If the very first question or one of the first questions at the gate had been, "How do I even know she's alive?" and you're in the first ten seconds, thirty seconds of the conversation, uh, that would have put some uh, negative insinuation on the next person. So you don't want to put the negative insinuation. It's just like the next natural phase of it. Well, how are we going to pay for this today? How are we going to take care of it? And give them a minute. Um, another example of how questions. Uh, first, I want to let me go a different direction. So five whys is a very common root cause analysis technique. Five whys only, and let me emphasize, only works if you ask yourself why. Okay. If you go to the next person that you're actually interviewing, well, why did you do that? They're going to give you some BS answer to cover their butts. And then you ask them why again, they're going to give you another BS answer to cover their butt. By the time you get to the third time asking them why, they're pretty pissed off at you. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, the philosophy behind five whys is fantastic. If you ask why enough times, eventually you'll get to the root cause. Problem is people hate the word why. He talks about that in the book as well. Oh my gosh, that just reminded me of when once upon a time I was in therapy and the therapist said, and what would happen if that happens? And what would happen if that happens? Yes. And what would, until we drilled down to like what my true right. fear, the root cause of my uh -huh. fear or concern or whatever it was. And I've held on to that and I use it with our own kids yes. when they say they're worried about something. Well, what if? What it's if? the exact same idea. And so I'll do this in audits frequently. And I'll ask people, well, how are you going to verify this? How are you going to that? How are you going to this? How are you going to that? How do you, how do you know what to do? And I prefer to ask that question. Then can you show me the procedure for blah, 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 mm -hmm. which most audits that when I have been the auditee, that's where the auditors come in. Can you please show me the procedure for, and they'll list their understanding of the process. Mm -hmm. Well, if I didn't arrange my system exactly the way that that auditor thinks I ought to have or might have, I probably can't show him what he's looking for. Right. Um, or if I do, I might have to show him two or three different procedures because we did things differently. But on the other hand, if I just come in kind of like a country bumpkin, well, how do you know what to do here? And then you just let them tell you and they'll give you all the information you need. Um, and you just keep going at it with how do you? Well, what happens next? Well, how, how did that occur? And you get the same result as the five whys. You just have to go at it differently. Mm -hmm. So those are my input. Well, and, you know, it just seemed like a common sense way to ask. Yes. Again, and, you know, that speaks to when you were the auditee and they came in and said, can you show me the procedure for it? It's like saying, well, what was the name of her teddy bear when she was a little girl? Yes. 
Yes. You've got to get on some common ground. Mm -hmm. And at least in these negotiations from this book, that was a huge problem for the FBI negotiators because they had a procedure that they followed that wasn't a good... And that's what he was talking about in this chapter is that he was looking for a better way to handle these negotiations and get information that they needed to get. Well, and what was your goal of asking these weird questions about someone? What were they trying to ascertain? What were they trying to learn? Proof of life. Proof of life. This guy just jumped right at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and went at it the way he knew how to deal with it. Right. So I think that's probably the case in any negotiation situation. You have to consider... How? What is the most common sense way to go about this? Yeah, I. Um, <laughs> he just laughed at me. I don't no, know why. No, <laughs> I'm laughing because that's what I say about um, ISO so often. Is you know, there's such a bad reputation with these quality management systems, you know, and really, if you look at the, I say ISO, this applies to API, AS, A, you know, whatever the standard is. Mm-hmm. It is effectively common sense. If a lawyer wrote it, <laughs> that's all it is. You look at the requirements for calibrated equipment. Okay. If you measure something, you got to be certain it's good. You got to be certain it's accurate. You need to know how accurate you want it to be. And if you checked it against a standard, if you checked it against a block or something else, you got to know that block's not bad either. <laughs> and you need to keep some paperwork from it. Well, that's simple. Now, you read it in the ISO standard, and it's like, bleh, you know. That's lawyer, how I feel about it. Lawyer vomit on the paper. Mm-hmm. It's it's common sense solutions. Then why can't they write it like that? Because they get paid to put more words on the paper. Oh, true. Don't they sell it by how many pages yes. it is or something like yes. that? Mm-hmm. When we had Chris Paris on, he, he loved talking about that. Yeah. And he was very, very correct in a lot of it. And if you look at the original ISO 9001 standard that came out, what someone's going to correct me on this, but probably, I think it was 1988. Or I don't remember the year exactly. Somebody correct him on it. Yes. Send him an yeah. email. Send Darcy hate mail for missing nope. episodes too. Nope. <laughs> but um, it was only, it was relatively short. It was seriously only like, I think, 10 pages long. I mean, it was like next to That's nothing. That's amazing. And it was nothing but the absolute basic fundamental details. And this is the same problem that we encounter in our workplaces so often. is, And the same problem that seems the FBI encountered here in the hostage negotiation is every time we run into a problem, rather than detaching and stepping back to come up with a creative solution, kind of like we talked about in the last episode, is we add more complexity to solve the problem. So next time this happens, we have route c we can take and if route c gets us to another decision point then we've got points e and f to go down so i think i've heard you talk about that when people write their quality manuals or procedures manuals that it becomes this big giant huge thing because they plan for every what if like we're talking about drilling down they plan for what if every contingency and they put that in their quality manual when in fact they're not supposed to you're supposed to do what like a ncr or car Yeah, you, you just need to, when a problem comes up, address that problem. That does not mean re-engineer the system every time. Um, so this will be another, there's another episode that I'm wanting to do talking about overcorrection. So maybe we'll talk about some of these details later. But I took the blame for all the episode topics, so you don't get to create topics. 
<laughs> um, but no, it's, it really is. You have to have common sense solutions, and this does scale differently for organizations. So if you've got a small company, now a small business in the U.S. is technically less than 500 employees, but when I say small business, I'm really talking about less than 200 employees. Okay. Because um, it's still small enough that you can reasonably know every other manager or member of leadership in the company, Right. When you get to above that, there's a lot of people, you just don't know who it is that runs that department, so it gets different. But if you're in a small team or a small organization, bank on your people making good decisions. Kind of like this right here with the uh, the, the drug dealer thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't their intent, but they had a guy who knew how to effectively communicate with the other party. Mm-hmm. Let your people do their job and do it well. You hired them because they're smart and good. Dadgummit, let them be smart and good. When I they, agree. <laughs> when they run into a problem, document, here's the problem, here's the solution. And that goes back to creating a good culture, which we have talked about so many times. I swear we don't purposefully try to come back to this point. But if you create a culture of people that believe in the system you've created, mm-hmm. then you can trust them to make good decisions and do what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, we, I was doing a training recently and really trying to hammer home the difference in, you know, uh, when do you just document that something went wrong and you do a one-off fix and when do you do a corrective action? And a corrective action means you're making a change uh, to the system. Mm-hmm. You're making a permanent change that will be here and forever. Okay. Um, and I tell them there's really only a couple of situations where you do it. One is if you have a trend. Well, how do you know you had a trend? Because you documented that this happened fifty times this year, mm-hmm. so you got a trend. Okay, so you want to you want to avoid trends, or when the risk is high, if there's a high risk, um, and so if the risk is really high, well, we definitely don't want this to happen again, and if it's a trend, we don't want this to happen again. So you make a change to the system, and the the minimal amount of change, the better. Okay, so. Um, in this scenario though, this is where a lot of, with the, the book, like they had to make some very fundamental changes. And the reason they had to make some very fundamental changes to the, how they handle these hostage negotiation situations is because they had been down a path of correction and add on correction and add on correction and add on. So they had a very bloated, complicated, overly intellectual system. Mm-hmm. At some point you can't correct it no more. You got to scrap and rework. Right. So if you want to avoid scrap and rework. Common sense solutions, mm-hmm. as simple and minimal as possible. And let your team come up with some ideas. Amen. Yes. Because they're the ones doing the work. Yeah. Ask 10 people for all of their ideas. It does not mean that you have to do anything any one of them ask. I would actually argue that if you ask 10 people for a solution to a problem, the solution you actually come up with will be brand new. That incorporated a the combination good of those 10. Yeah, yeah. it'll be the, the good aspects of them all, plus some brand new stuff that no one had even considered. And, and that's so you get these really creative, unique solutions that oftentimes are so simple as, well, how do I know she's alive? Yeah. None of these guys would have thought to ask that question. Hey, dog. Yeah. <laughs> so common sense solutions are, are, are the best. They are the hardest to come up with, though. Hey, but I know a guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give us a call. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, y'all.